Chapter Forty Eight of the Mystery of the Ravenspurs by Fred M. White. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Forty Eight More from the Past. Chigorsky was waiting. The room was pregnant with the perfume of Turkish cigarettes and coffee. Ralph handed a cup to his nephew. Drink that, he said. You want something to keep you awake. Geoffrey accepted the coffee gratefully. It had the desired effect. He felt the clouds lifting from his brain and the drowsy heaviness of limb leaving him. Are you coming with us? he asked. Ralph shook his head. There was a strange gleam on his face. I stay here, he said. You are going to be busy, but I also have much to do. Don't be concerned for me. Blind as I am, I am capable of taking care of myself. I shall have a deal to tell you in the morning. A minute or two later and the two conspirators slipped away. It struck Geoffrey as strange that they should not leave the house in the usual way, but Tchigorsky grimly explained that he much preferred using the ivy outside Ralph's window. "'Always on the safe side,' Tchigorsky muttered. "'Come along.' Geoffrey followed. Where Tchigorsky could go, he felt competent to follow. They reached the ground in safety and later were in the road. The moon had gone and it was intensely dark, but Geoffrey knew the way perfectly. "'Straight to Jessop's farm?' he asked. "'As far as the lawn,' Tchigorsky replied. "'It will be a good hour yet before we can venture to carry out our burglary. I can run no risks until I know that those two Asiatics are out of the way. What time is it?' "'About ten minutes to twelve. Tchigorsky muttered that the time was not quite suitable for him. He drew a watch from his pocket. There was a stifled whir of machinery, and the repeater's rapid pulse beat twelve with the silvery chime of a quarter after the hour. "'You are wrong,' he said. "'You see, it is between a quarter and half-past twelve. We will lie on Jessop's lawn until one o'clock, and then all will be safe. They lay there waiting for the time to pass. The minutes seemed to be waited. "'Tell me some more of your Lassa adventures,' Geoffrey asked. "'Very well,' Tchigorsky replied. "'Where did I leave off? Ah, we had just been tortured in that awful grill.' and we had been offered our lives on condition that we consented to be hopeless idiots for the rest of our days. Well, we were not going to live in these circumstances, you may be sure. For the next few days we were left to our own resources in a dark dungeon, with the huge rats and vermin for company. We were half-starved into the bargain, and when we were brought into the light once more, they naturally expected submission. But they didn't get it. They did not realize the stuff we were made of. And they had no idea we were armed. 
We had our revolvers, and concealed in our pockets were some fifty rounds of ammunition. If the worst came to the worst, we should not die without a struggle. Well, there was a huge palaver over us before the priests in the big temple, with Zara on her throne, and a fine impressive scene it was, or at least it would have been, had we not been so interested as to our own immediate future. At any rate, it was a comfort to know that there were no more tortures for the present, for nothing of the kind was to be seen. We were going to die. We could read our sentence in the eyes of the priests long before the elaborate mummery was over. I tell you, it seemed hard to perish like that, just at the time when we had penetrated nearly all the secrets we had come in search of. And it was no less hard to know that if the princess had postponed her visit another week, she would have been too late. By that time we should have left Lhasa far behind. The trial or ceremony, or whatever you like to call it, came to an end at length, and then we were brought up to the throne of the princess. You know the woman. You have looked upon the beauty and fascination of her face. But you have no idea how different she was in the home of her people. She looked a real queen, a queen from head to foot. We stood awed before her. You have been offered terms and refused them, she said. It is now too late. We could not trust you, I replied boldly. We had nothing to gain by politeness. Better anything than the living death you offered us, and we can only die once. The princess smiled in her blood-curdling way. You do not know what you are talking about, she said. Ah, you will find out when you come to walk the Black Valley. She gave a sign, and we were led away unbound. A quaint wailing music filled the air. The priests were singing our funeral song. I never fully appreciated the refined cruelty of reading the burial service to a criminal on his way to the scaffold till then. It made me shudder to think of it even now. They led us out into the open air, still crooning that dirge. They brought us at length to the head of a great valley between huge towering mountains, as if the Alps had been sliced in two and a narrow passage made between them. At the head of this passage was a door led into the cliff, and down through this door they thrust us. It was dark inside. For the first part of the way, till we reached the floor of the valley, we were to be accompanied by four priests, a delicate attention to prevent us from breaking our necks before we reached the bottom. But our guides did not mean us to perish so mercifully. "'Listen to me,' Zara cried. "'Listen for the last time. You are going into the Black Valley. Of its horrors and dangers you know nothing as yet, but you will soon learn.' Take comfort in the fact that there is an exit at the far end, if you can find it. When you are out of the exit, you are free. Thousands have walked this valley, and over their dry bones you will make your way. 
Out of these thousands, one man escaped. Perhaps you will be as fortunate. Farewell. The door clanged behind us, and we were alone with the priest. We could not see. We could only feel our way down those awful cliffs, where one false step would have smashed us to pieces. But the priests never hesitated. Down, down we went until we reached the bottom. There we could just see dimly. "'You could guide us through?' I asked. One of the priests nodded. He could save us if he liked. Not that I was going to waste my breath by asking him. They were priests of a minor degree. There were thousands of them about the temple, all alike as peas in a pod. If these men failed to return, they would never be missed. A desperate resolution came to me. In a few English whispered words, I conveyed it to Ralph Ravenspur. We still had a priest on either side of us. At a given signal, we produced our revolvers, and before the priests had the remotest idea what had happened, two of them were dead on the ground, shot through the brain. When the thousand and one echoes died away, we each had our man by the throat. What did we care if the plot was discovered or not? We were both desperate. "'Listen, dog,' I cried. "'You have seen your companions perish. "'If you would escape a similar death, "'you will bear us to safety. "'You shall walk ten paces in front, "'and if you try to evade us, you die, "'for our weapons carry farther "'than you can run in the space of two minutes.' "'Well, are you going to convey us to a place of safety, "'or shall we shoot you like the others?' Chigorsky paused and pulled at his watch. He drew back the catch, and the rapid little pulse beat one. Then he rose to his feet. "'To be continued in our next,' he said. "'The time has come to act. "'Follow me, and betray no surprise at anything you may see or hear.' "'You can rely upon me,' Geoffrey whispered. "'Lead on.'" End of chapter 48